Is crisis dieting a good idea? Find out on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and today I'm going to be talking about health, but ironically, I have a little bit of a cold myself, so I don't feel super healthy today, and I am one day late on this podcast because yesterday I could barely talk. So I have a little bit of a voice back. Uh, My wife calls this my radio voice because I'm just a little bit of an octave lower, Um, so that might sound good, but uh, I'm just kind of congested and coughing and the whole deal, so I'm just praying that my voice will hold up for this podcast um, because I want to share with you and continue a series on healthy eating and weight loss and health. Um, it's something that I haven't been really led to do for the first three and a half seasons of pushback Uh because I felt like I needed to have victory of this in my own life. And so I realize I don't sound super healthy right now, uh, but I do feel healthy after uh, about 50 pounds of weight loss, and I feel really good about that. So um, I want to talk to you about the culture. Um, In my last two podcasts, I sort of laid out the American problem, if I want to put it that way, Um, this idea of, of an obesogenic culture that we live in, uh, that all signs point towards the fact that they're funneling you. And when I say they, I mean the commercialism of eating, of, of low cost, uh, uh, high calorie, high carb food that's being offered to us as a society. And unfortunately, the ripple that it creates in us and in our bodies and in the way that we think and the way that we eat. I do want to talk more about the way that we think today um, because this isn't just purely medical because we know and I know as a physician that the Father created us in a remarkable way. And so the chemistry of our bodies, the way that we think, the way that we behave, even the way that we eat uh, was designed by a creator for a purpose. And so we can lean into that. We can lean into the truth of who he is and find out the optimal way of wh- of how and when and, and where and what we are supposed to eat and how we are supposed to eat. And so that excites me because this is about culture, about his culture that he created for us. So I want to lean into a little bit about emotional eating and what I call crisis dieting because I've been there. Um, And if I'm honest, uh, those are things that I still struggle with every single day when it comes to eating and the choices that we make uh, about what we eat. And so we have a brain and our brain has a chemical called dopamine and dopamine is a chemical that, um, that uh, deals with mood and the way that we feel uh, happy, sad, mad, angry, good, um, optimistic, pessimistic, the things that, <clears throat> that our brain processes has a lot to do with dopamine. Studies have certainly been shown what increases dopamine in our lives and it's sort of interesting, uh, not the exhaustive list, but sex um, reward or completion. We've all felt that 
I'm one of those people that actually make a list even after I've already done them just so that I can cross it off my list. So at the end of the day, I can show myself what I've completed. Why do I do that? It sounds a little neurotic, doesn't it? I do that because it releases dopamine. It makes me feel better about myself. There's a reason why Alcoholics Anonymous give you a pin uh, after so many, uh, such a period of time of sobriety is because it releases dopamine and what they're what they're lacking when you're an addict is dopamine. And so people who are drug addicted or alcohol addicted, they are looking to feel better. And, and when they <clears throat> don't feel as well, um, the dopamine decreases. And so when they can give them reward, milestones, accomplishments, dopamine actually increases and you feel better about yourself. I think that's interesting. But also it's very interesting in my opinion and the point of this podcast is that eating also releases dopamine. Isn't that interesting? And so we know the story of the girl that breaks up with her boyfriend and the next scene in the movie, she's holding a Haagen-Dazs Rocky Road and she's eating the ice cream. There's a reason for that is because her dopamine levels have plummeted because she feels so down and sad. It's interesting when you eat high fatty foods that it actually increases your dopamine and you feel a little better. And so Food does that. In America uh, and other societies as well, we use food as a reward. That's a, that's a double whammy. You get to eat and you feel an accomplishment or an award. And so dopamine increases. So we connect food with with accomplishment, reward, celebration. And I'm not saying that sitting down with people and celebrating over a meal or over a dessert is a bad thing. But you have to understand that there's chemical there's a chemical response in your brain that we are wired uh, to to want to feel better about ourselves. That's the way the Lord actually created it to be. And he actually wants us to want to eat because he wants us to survive. Uh, but there's there's an issue of of longing and striving for dopamine versus being satisfied in what he gives you and the way that we're supposed to eat in our body and actually to maximize the chemical feedback in our brain. I'm, I'm going to read excerpts from a book that's been very influential to me called Habits of Health. It's by Dr. Wayne Scott Anderson. I certainly respect this man. He is an internist and intensivist uh, medical doctor. And uh, I believe that his uh, viewpoint on, on dieting and health uh, is super beneficial and has really helped me uh, in my journey of weight loss and health as well. And I call it a journey because I certainly have not arrived there yet. And we're going to talk very specifically about that point. Um, but he talks about, which has been very critical for me, he talks about sort of what I call crisis dieting, um, where, we're, where we're trying to solve a problem. Now, I think this is going to relate to a lot of you who are listening, and it's certainly related to me. I shared in my previous podcast that when COVID hit, it was probably one of the lowest points in my life professionally for sure, but emotionally, relationally as well. It was a struggle for me as an ER doctor dealing with that carnage chaos every single day, bringing that back home. It, it messed with me. And my response, because I was probably low on dopamine, <laughs> my response was to eat. When I, when I would eat, I would feel a little bit better and certainly not thinking about trying to eat well. That was just too much effort and energy uh, for my brain. And so I gained a significant, I, I was already overweight, but I gained even a significant more weight during that season. And that makes sense. 
But a lot of times what happens is we hit sort of this crisis mode. Now, for some people, it is a real crisis, like a health crisis, like diabetes, or you go to the doctor and he says your blood sugars are high, your insulin um, is, is an issue, or you are what's called pre-diabetic, where they're noticing just a small bump in what's called your A1C, your body weight. They, they've had multiple factors that show that you are a kinder box for diabetes. Like it's, it's starting to happen. Um, or obviously there are other crises, just personal crises where you can't do the things you want to do because of your body habitus, because of the, of being uh, out short of breath or just simply out of shape. And, and there's those moments when you're walking down the sidewalk, <laughs> have these moments and you look in your reflection on the glass of the stores that you're walking by and you say, who is that guy? And how did he get so big? And or you look at a picture from a party or a wedding and you see your body just slowly getting bigger and bigger. And this happens to a lot of us. And when you look at the statistics, this happens to about 70 to 80 percent of us. And so there's something, again, culturally that's wrong. And so a lot of people will begin to enter into what's called a diet type phase where you start to get serious. You see the problem and you want to make a change because you see a crisis. There's something seriously wrong. I just want to read this excerpt from Dr. Anderson's book. That's true of most changes we try to adapt. They're based on solving a problem or trying to get rid of an unwanted situation. This type of motivation almost never leads to lasting change. Typically, you make some changes at first, but later you fall back into your old ways of behaving. Why? Because whenever you experience emotional conflict and feelings of negativity, you want it to stop. Who wants to feel uncomfortable? You think about your health problems and about how much you hate the way you look, and your natural response is to feel terrible. In order to end that discomfort, you take actions that make you feel better about yourself. Maybe you go on a diet, get off the couch more, and start exercising. But those actions aren't motivated by what you want, and so they lead you into a predictable cycle. And he lists six things. Number one, emotional conflict leads you to act. That's number one. Number two, because you've acted, you feel better, even if the situation hasn't changed much. Number three, feeling better takes the pressure off, thereby lessening the emotional conflict. Number four, less emotional conflict means there's less reason to continue doing the things that reduced the conflict in the first place. Number five, since you feel better, you no longer feel a pressing need to follow through on your actions. And number six, and the original behavior returns. I've seen that cycle in myself before because I have a pretty strong willpower, to be honest with you. When I, my, my, my wife will say, when I put my mind to something, something gets done and I can do it and I've done it before. And so I believe that I'm actually at a real dangerous point in my health journey right now, maybe the most dangerous point, because I could begin to relax. I look a little better. I've lost some weight. I'm able to do some more activities. Hey, I just played volleyball last week after my back surgery. I felt super good about that. And so all of a sudden, I'm feeling better about myself. It doesn't look so bad when I walk by that shop window anymore. Not perfect, but not as bad. And so because of that, the conflict is starting to disappear. And now I can easily fall back into old cycles because the crisis is gone. And so that's was drives what's called yo-yo dieting. You've heard that before. Conflict-driven motivation is one of the major reasons people yo-yo. 
Please listen to this sentence. Despite the fact that relying on self-control is nearly impossible and unlikely to lead to long-term success, most of us regularly use this sort of conflict manipulation to try to lose weight. It just doesn't work long-term, especially if you're a, a, quote, emotional eater, end quote. That's why we're going to change the way you motivate yourself. The more effective mindset is to think about what you gain by choosing health. Yes, you might want to lose weight, but really, your desire runs much deeper than the numbers on a scale. What you really want is to be able to keep up with your children, enjoy a long hike, or gain a level of confidence that you might never have had. This is the more powerful way to think about your health. This is tapping into autonomous motivation in a deep and profound way. Lasting motivation comes from focusing on what you want to gain and not what you want to lose. My friends, I believe that's been a real critical shift in my life in the way that I've been thinking about things in the way that I've been thinking about my health. This journey has forced me to even journal and write some things down. Like what is my motivation? Yes, my motivation is to lose weight, but really my motivation is that I want to be as physically active for my youngest two children as I was for my oldest two children. That's what I wrote down. I believe they deserve that from a dad who loves to exercise and to play with their kids and have fun. But physically, I would say even six months ago, that was becoming increasingly difficult to do. And so that is my motivation. And then I need to take, obviously, steps to accomplish that motivation, to make that a priority. He writes, changing our emphasis from what we are against to what we are for has a dramatic impact. Are we merely against something or do we want to create an important result? Let me be clear. I'm not talking about positive thinking, but rather about the fundamental reason we act with no spin on it, positive or otherwise. Researchers regularly report the success of certain diets, all while warning that the subjects on these successful diets couldn't sustain weight loss for more than two years on average. And they always blame the diet itself for this long-term failing because they don't know any better. The one factor that we've never named, and which is almost universally ignored, is that the dieter's motivation is usually a problem-solving, conflict-driven reaction to emotional anxiety. You could adopt the healthiest diet that ever existed, but if your motivation is to fix a health problem, you'll be back to your old tricks in two years or less with your weight back on and in worse shape than ever. No wonder so many people feel helpless after trying these time and time again to lose weight. They don't know why they can't pull it off. They're sincere about wanting to lose weight and they know the stakes are high. Think back to the last time you unsuccessfully tried to lose weight. Remember how easily you reverted to your old eating habits once the pressure to change diminished. It's not unusual for someone who spent months losing weight to celebrate their accomplishment by running to the local burger joint. Welcome to human nature. Soon enough, you're back to where you were before or worse. Study after study shows the negative impact of dieting once the diet's over. As you yo-yo from one diet to the next, you put yourself at higher risk for cardiovascular disease, more weight gain, and a myriad of other problems. 
It's not your fault. You simply didn't know that your problem-solving motivation was your downfall all along. Hopefully that's as impactful to you as it was to me because it really created a shift. He, he put his finger on me. It really identified me and I'm predicting that that might be you as well. Why do we gain more weight after we yo-yo? It's because we get so discouraged. We're like, why didn't this work? We get more frustrated with ourselves. And so we, we enter into this process of failure, success, failure, success. There's a profound difference between avoiding bad stuff and supporting good stuff. And, and that, my friends, I believe is the word culture. It's his ways. Remember? Culture, the sum total ways of living passed down from generation to generation. When we connect with his ways, the good stuff, then we are actually motivated. We're, we, we have a positive outlook. We, we are motivated positively to what we are driving for. And again, I agree with Dr. Anderson. This isn't just about positive thinking. This isn't just about kumbaya. This isn't just me hoping that you're healthy. This is about the way that we actually think, the way that we're actually designed to think. Having goals is a good first step, but goals alone aren't enough. We need to position those goals within a structure that supports them. That's the word culture. Do you hear that? Within a structure that supports them. A structure that supports me and my family is called culture. It's the family culture that we actually create in our home. It's a culture that we actually can create outside of our home, in our region, and in our country a healthy culture. Once that structure is there, then it's easier. When the structure is broken and sets us up to be obese, an obesogenic culture, then that structure is there to keep us obese. Do you see what I'm saying? With the right structure, our chance of success goes up. With the wrong structure, our chance of success goes down. We need to know our starting point. If our goal is optimal health, our starting point is our current state of health. This is because having a realistic picture of where we are now helps us to see the steps we need to take to get to where we want to be. It's a power of choice. It's a power of decision. It's a power of a primary choice. My primary choice is that I want to be as physically active for my younger two children as I was for my oldest two children. That's my choice. That's my, my primary goal for health. I want to be physically able to do the ministry that the Lord has called me to do and not let my physical body be a limiting factor to what he's called me to. That's my primary choice. So the overall principle is this, Dr. Anderson writes, make the choice that supports the more important desire. Of course, that means you need to sort out which desire is most important. <laughs> it comes down to free will and free choice, but it's not just willpower. It's understanding that we are trying to connect and plug into a culture, a healthy culture that he created for us. So I gave you some of those real practical points in the last couple podcasts about eating smaller meals and, and staying hydrated and, and physical motion and exercise and, and some of those things that are so important for us. Those are actually things that support our primary choice. We can just will ourselves to do those things. But once the crisis is gone, once we feel a little bit better... If it is feeling-based and feeling-oriented, then we won't be as motivated to do 
those things, just checking things off the checklist, waking up in the morning and going for our walk. We have to know the why. We have to know the motivation. We have to know the primary choice, the reasons that we are doing things. So I love talking about these things because we always have to get to the root of the issues. So if there is some emotional pain going on here, you can actually help your physical body and you can actually help your weight loss by dealing with some of those emotional places so that it's not a dopamine sucker. It's not removing. It's not a, a funnel that drains out the bottom constantly. And so you're looking for other ways to, to get dopamine to your brain so that you feel a little bit better, such as eating. So we need to get healed and we can do that spiritually and if that's you and you're like, yes, this is probably why I yo-yo. This is probably why I'm consistently overweight. This is probably why diets don't work for me because I'm an emotional eater and then I diet just enough so that I feel a little bit better and my emotions are, are slightly improved and then I just go back again. It's a defeating cycle. And so you may need to pull out a piece of paper and decide why you want to be healthy. What is the point? Why, why, what has the Father called you to? And what are the barriers? And what are the physical human body barriers, such as your weight and your health, that are holding you back from what he's called you to? So deal with some of the emotional pain that you have. It's one of the hardest things that I could ever call for you to do because it involves going to those places that hurt. But we have pastors and we have counselors and we have people that love you and surround you. Find those people that have your heart, that would do anything for you, that would die for you in a foxhole. Those are the people you want to surround yourselves with. You would need to sit down with them in your living room and you need to say, I have emotional pain that I'm looking to get healed and let them walk you through that. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in your life to deal with some of those emotional things. There's always a physical component and always a spiritual component. And it frustrates me so much when when we deal only with the physical side of things or with our soul, at the highest point of our soul is our feelings. And you've heard me speak many times on this podcast how feelings rule the day. And it was never meant to be that way. We focus on soul healing and body healing, but we never really connect to that spiritual healing where it all starts with. It all flows spirit, soul, body in that order. So if that's you, there's something spiritually that needs to take place in your life. And let the Holy Spirit heal that. Begin with that. It's a great first step. And then start journaling and, and writing some things down about why you want to be healthy. And let that be your goal. The things that you want to gain, not the things that you need to lose. It's critical. And it's something that I need to leave in the forefront of my mind always. As I'm thinking about continually continuing my health journey as well. I hope this is helpful for you. I do want to go into some of these things even at a deeper level um, and help walk through. But I, I believe sometimes we have to just take the blinders off, not feel guilty. There's no shame connected to this. But once we know why, um, then I believe that we can start making a real plan for real change. And at the end of the day, it comes down to culture, setting a structure and a stage for us to live healthy in our homes. And parents, we can do that for our ch children. I gave statistics on childhood obesity and inactivity. I just read an article the other day that 70% of our children today are not qualifying for the armed services. 
That's a real problem for our national security. There's far-reaching implications, but parents, we can actually create and set some of that structure and foundation in our home for healthy living. And I want to help maybe walk you through some of those things. Maybe a little departure from some of the the political um, quasi-woke conversations that are going on, and I will go back to those as those things arise because there's always plenty of headlines in that regard. But I'm just trying to focus on on this point because I believe that can help people's lives so much. So I'd appreciate your feedback on this topic by going to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org. You can also check some of our other resources at gofam.org regarding family, parenting, and marriage. Um, We'd love to release those resources to you as well. My wife and I are releasing um, and teaching uh, our new and and revised version of our parenting course called Value the Voice Parenting Course. Uh, It is at Wilderness Fellowship in Wisconsin. You can go to gofam.org and find out the details for that. That's at the end of this month in July. So if that's something that would appeal to you, I believe it really will be life-changing as far as setting up this structure in your home, not only for just physical health, but emotional and spiritual health in your home for your children. Uh, Please go and check that out at Wilderness Fellowship, but you can go to gofam.org to find out details for that event. Thank you again for listening to me. I look forward. I'm sorry I was a little congested and plugged up here while I'm giving this message, but my voice made it. Praise the Lord. Love you all so much, and I will see you next week for another episode of podcast, uh, another episode of Pushback. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture. 